What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and today we have kind of a simple video here, but there are some players that you got to kind of have balls to take. There are some players where you're going to draft them in your home league and your friends are going to tell you you're an idiot. He busted last year. He's really not that good. What are you doing, man? In my case, you know, oh, you really do this for a living and you took him there. You're an idiot. So we're going to talk through four players that you have to be brave, that everybody else is too scared to take and redraft. And I'm going to tell you why you should be taking them at their current prices. So with all that being said, lock in. If you enjoy, make sure down below, subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. Now our first player here is going to be Bijan Robinson. He is going at the 10th overall pick on Underdog as the RB3. And as always, if you haven't already, make sure you're checking out Underdog Fantasy. Use promo code RON. I'll have a link in the description, a link in the comment section down below. You click it, it'll take you to Underdog. It'll use my promo code RON. It'll match your first deposit up to $100. And they have the new poodle tournament out right now which i believe is seven dollars to enter like sixty thousand dollars to first place it is a beginner friendly tournament because you can only maximum enter it 50 times whereas usually it's 150 keeps guys like me with the red badges out of the lobbies so you guys can go in there play have fun it's beginner friendly just make sure you do it soon because the poodle will close fast now we're talking about Bijan robinson here because he almost embodies this in a way he's my seventh overall player in my recent redraft rankings update, and my little brother thinks I'm crazy. My little brother is in high school. He's kind of good at fantasy football. Uh, he does just use my rankings, but I think that he is kind of the perfect, like not casual fantasy football guy, but just somebody who, you know, plays a home league in August. Who's too, he's too young to be on underdog or draft really before then. And he's like, what are you doing with a rookie in your top seven? And Bijan, I think, is the perfect guy where in your home league with your office buddies or whatever, you're going to step up to the podium to take Bijan Robinson in the first round People might be like, what the heck are you doing? Now, I just want to tell you why you should be comfortable taking Bijan Robinson in the first round. Again, I would take him as high as like seventh overall. Right now, the way that I kind of see drafts, you have your top five, right? You have Jefferson, Chase, Tyreek, Cup, McCaffrey, whatever order you want. Six, it gets tough. You're taking either like Kelsey, who doesn't feel great in a home league to take a tight end. You have Stephon Diggs, who's really only there because he's Josh Allen's number one target. DeAndre Hopkins could really throw a curveball in the mix. You have Austin Eckler, who has been 20-plus points per game in the last two years, but he's getting older. The Chargers keep adding weapons. You also have the fact that Eckler has been good, but he hasn't been amazing, right? When we look at just historically, over the last five seasons, the last two RB1 overalls in Jonathan Taylor in 2021, Eckler in 2022, didn't even crack the top eight point-per-game seasons by running backs over the last five years. So Eckler, yes, has been a top two running back the last two years, but it's been a weak running back landscape. And I think the best way to kind of bet against the current running back landscape is to bet on the unknown, right? Right now, running back is a weak point. I think after McCaffrey, nobody else really on the planet has access to, you know, like 23-plus points per game, like Kamara 2018 and upwards. But I think Bijan is one that we can kind of bet on because he's uncertain, right? We don't really know what Bijan's going to look like. He is the best running back prospect we've seen since Saquon Barkley, who, by the way, if Saquon Barkley had his rookie year in 2022, he would have been the RB1 overall in fantasy, not Austin Eckler last year. So that's the kind of upside we're dealing with here as a rookie running back. So again, people are kind of concerned about Bijan Robinson, rookie running back. Why would you bet on him in the first round? But he was drafted eighth overall. 
I've talked about Bijan all offseason in the dynasty space, but people were telling me, Ron, you got to adjust the model. Second round draft capital, Brees Hall, Jonathan Taylor. Second round draft capital is a new first round draft capital. Third round draft capital is a new second round draft capital. So on and so forth. No, no, no. We get Bijan eighth overall in the draft. And we just look at running backs who've been taking uh, or taken in that top 10 in the NFL draft. You have this list of like nine running backs. So this is a table of every running back taken in the top 10 since 2007, all the way back to Adrian Peterson. And you can see it's really not a bad cohort where you have Saquon, who would have been the RB1 overall last year. You have Zeke, who would have been the RB2 overall last year. You have six of these nine running backs, right? Bijan doesn't count because he hasn't played yet, but six of the nine running backs would have been RB7 or better in points per game last year, where if you take the RB7 in points per game in the first round, like RB3 off the board, that's fine, right? But the reason I like Bijan is I think he has the upside that not many other running backs in this day and age really have, right? Taylor doesn't really have the receiving upside. Chubb doesn't really have the receiving upside. But you have Bijan, who is one of only, it's Bijan, it's Saquon, it's McCaffrey of guys who had an A-plus or better receiving grade just based on their PPR points per game and their receiving game in college, their market share of receiving yards, all of that stuff. It spits out this. And you have Saquon and McCaffrey, who both had over 80 catches as true rookies in the NFL. Got my phone going off here, but that's why I'm buying in on Bijan, because the receiving upside is crazy. He's young. He's this unknown talent. And when the running back landscape is as weak as it's been the last two years, I'm kind of okay just leaning into the uncertainty. And on top of that, he goes to a great system with Arthur Smith. He goes to the Falcons, where they have the seventh best offensive line hitting into 2023, according to PFF. They have a great run scheme. They were one of the most run-heavy teams last year. They should feed Bijan. I'm not all that worried about Tyler Algier. I know he's there. He looked good last year, but he looked good in a backfield with like Jason Huntley and Cordero Patterson and whatever other bodies they had in there. I just don't see it as a huge hindrance. I think it's similar to kind of uh, Michael Carter with Brees Hall last year where he looked good in year one, but that doesn't mean that he's a talented running back. He just kind of stepped up, took opportunity when it was there. Now, the next player we'll talk about here that you have to be brave when you're selecting because you might get roasted. Same offense, Kyle Pitts. He's going off the board as he tight end five, pick 70. I think that's around like the seventh round, sixth round. And why should we bet on Kyle Pitts again after two years of him not being really anything to write home about? And the reason for me, one of them, is that he's really good at football. He is the highest drafted tight end ever, 6'6", 4'4", speed. He is seventh among tight ends all time in yards per game through two seasons. It's Kittle, Shockey, Gronk, Graham, Hernandez, Kellen Winslow, then Pitts. Then you have Kelsey, Ingram, Reed, Andrews, Antonio Gates. That's just a star-studded list of guys who have over 45 receiving yards per game from their first two seasons. And you can see on this list as well, Kyle Pitts is among the youngest, right? He's age 21 to age 22, which is next to like Gronk. Uh, but other guys, you know, Kittle was 24-25 in his first two years. Uh, Travis Kelsey was 24-25. A lot of these guys come in really polished and really old already, whereas Kyle Pitts came in super raw. And when you look at kind of the progression of these guys and what they did in year three, their year three points per game among all of those tight ends that were on that list 14.5 points per game on average, which would have been the tight end two overall. So that's the trajectory Kyle Pitts is on right now. And then even if you just want to zoom in on what he did last year, uh, really good peripherals, right? First in target rate, first in air yard share, first in deep targets, second highest dot, which means Kyle Pitts is already a freak where he's like fast, but he's not quite a George Kittle where he's going to make you miss and do all this yard of the catch stuff. But his high dot and his deep target and just like where he is on the field, 
that gives him a ton of efficiency. Kind of like Mark Andrews, where in, Andrews isn't like Kittle in the way that he gets efficiency. Uh, he's not going to give you missed tackles forced or yak. He just has a high eight out. So he's this like downfield threat as a tight end. That's what you have with Kyle Pitts. It just so happened that Mariota couldn't hit him last year and some other things that went wrong. But he has a huge efficiency ceiling from the dot. He's a big target, so the touchdowns could bounce back here. And he commands volume. And that's really all you could ask for, right? Unrealized air yards, number one in the NFL among tight ends, second highest target share. The volume is there. He can command targets. just a matter of some touchdown luck and this offense kind of bouncing back. Now, the reason that I'm down to bet on that is because, one, the price, right? You're getting him seventh round. I think this is going to be, like, the cheapest we've ever gotten Kyle Pitts, which is pretty crazy considering heading into year three. Like, this is when the scoring is really start uh, supposed to start. Now, the touchdown total is rough. Just three touchdowns through his first two years. But PFF has him at nine expected touchdowns. So based off of like his yards and his red zone uh, targets, they have him at nine touchdowns, like where he should be, right? Expected touchdowns. They have him at nine. He's at just three. So he's had awful, awful touchdown luck through this point. And touchdowns are largely random. He had 15 red zone targets in year one. He was on pace for just 8.5 red zone targets in year two before getting hurt. So that's a huge discrepancy. And it's kind of just goes to show that touchdowns are random, right? Eric Ebron has a 13 touchdown season. Before that, he never had more than five touchdowns in a single season. You had George Kittle last year. His knock was always that he couldn't score touchdowns. His highest touchdown total was like six. And then last year, he scored 11 when he didn't even have, he had like a new quarterback and Brock Purdy and like Trey Lance early on. And he scored a bunch of touchdowns. I think it would just be overthinking it to say that Kyle Pitts has only scored three touchdowns through his first two seasons that he can't score touchdowns in the future. He's six six. I, I don't see how the touchdown upside isn't there. Now, I also think that the offense is going to positively regress as well. So I think it's going to get better. Whereas this offense last year was fifth in pass attempts per game since 2000. So 24.4 pass attempts per game was the fifth lowest since 2000, which is crazy, right? That's when they were running the ball a lot more. Fifth lowest is a historically low season for this Falcons offense. They had, again, 24.4 pass attempts per game is really, really low. Now, I wanted to look back and just kind of see how offenses bounce back. This is something that J.J. Zacharyson has written about uh, in the past, but just in terms of outlier offenses bouncing back in the pass attempts category. So this is pass attempts per game for every offense since 2000 that has had under 27 pass attempts per game. There's 19 offenses here, and you have all 19 seeing an increase, right? The, the, the blue bar is their pass attempts per game in that year that's given, right? So 2000 Miami, blue bar is how many pass attempts he had, they had in 2000. Red bar is how many in 2001. So you can see across the board, everybody is increasing. And it, it even goes to show how much of an outlier the season is because you have 2020 in Baltimore, 2018 in Seattle, and then you don't have another season under 27 pass attempts per game until 2013 Seattle, right? So there's only been two such seasons since 2013. And we just saw two in this last year with the Bears, but then also the Falcons, which we're talking about right now. And again, all 19 of these offenses saw an increase in pass attempts per game in the following year. On average, an increase of 18.7%, which would put the Falcons from 24.4 points uh, pass attempts per game to 29 pass attempts per game, which would have been, been 28th last year. Now, 28th pass attempts per game isn't crazy. It's not great, but it's at least workable, right? It's not historically low. And that's where I would expect this offense to go, right? They went from 23 pass attempts per game with Mariota, 29 pass attempts per game with Ritter. I think that 29 pass attempts per game uh, projection from the percentage increase we can kind of express or uh, expect is perfect. Now, there's also some upside for more. You see a lot of these red bars are like way higher. Nine of 19 saw 30 or more pass attempts in the following year. So we'll see. I, I doubt the Falcons have that much of a, of a 
past the time ceiling, but I think it would be wrong to say that they're going to be historically low again and be like a 25 pass attempt per game offense. It's going to regress to the mean. It's probably going to be somewhere in the bottom 10. Now, where it falls in the bottom 10, we don't know, but that should be at least enough volume to be workable with Kyle Pitts. And the last thing that I'll kind of leave you guys with on, on Kyle Pitts is that his peripherals right now go toe-to-toe with a lot of low-end wide receiver ones. And you have to remember that Kyle Pitts, we've kind of held him to this standard you know, top five pick in the NFL draft, unicorn, wide receiver, tight end hybrid. End of the day, he's going your tight end spot in fantasy football. And we look at his career targets per out run, 22.6% is better than T. Higgins, Devonta Smith. It's right there with Waddle. It's right there with DK Metcalf. Now, this group of players is kind of random, right? I just wanted to put Drake London because he's his teammate. Andrews because that's kind of like a similar tight end. Uh, and then you have T. Higgins, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, DK Metcalf, who are like these high-end wide receiver two types. And Kyle Pitts' peripherals can go toe-to-toe with them, right? 22.6% target per out run goes you know, toe-to-toe with T. Higgins through DK Metcalf. His career yards per out run of 1.92 is actually better than Devonta Smith and DK Metcalf's yards per out run. It's right on pace with pretty much everywhere else uh, besides Waddle and Andrews. And his career expected points per game. Expected points per game is just based on your volume. How many points per game should you be scoring? They're all in that 10 to 12 point per game area. And again... Kyle Pitts, you get to have essentially like a wide receiver too in terms of peripherals. And if that comes to fruition this year, you have to put that in your tight end spot. And it's a it's much more impactful to your team to draft Kyle Pitts and have like 14 points per game as like the tight end two overall in fantasy in your tight end spot versus say Drake London, who's like three rounds more expensive, has a similar progression to Kyle Pitts. And I like drafting Drake London, but if you're in on Drake London, you should be weighing on Kyle Pitts because Drake London if he does like 14 points per game, like we can kind of, you know, in terms of Kyle Pitts' ceiling, Drake London's ceiling probably looks similar, like 14, 15 points per game. That's just a wide receiver too, right? That's not like this like league-winning dominant wide receiver season. But if you can put that in your tight end spot two to three rounds cheaper, it's a massive, massive win for your fantasy team. So that's why I'm still betting on Kyle Pitts. I think there's a lot of outs for him to pay off here. Now, the third guy we'll talk about is someone that has his own issue coming off an ACL tear. You know, you draft this guy in your home league and they're like, you know that he tore his ACL, man, and I love Brees Hall right now. He is a like mid to late third round pick. You can get him like you can start off your draft going. You can go something on the lines of like Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, Brees Hall. That is sort of possible right now if you're picking at like the nine spot. Uh, but Brees Hall is someone that I think is going to rise a ton in August right now because I think that people are really overestimating or overcounting. The ACL tear. Of course, the ACL tear, it's not good, but it's much different than your J.K. Dobbins tears of the world and your Javante Williams tears of the world where they had ACL, LCL, meniscus, MCL, and it's like this like brutal thrashing injury in their knee, whereas Brees Hall just had a clean ACL tear early last season. That is it. There is no meniscus damage. There is no MCL. There is no uh, LCL damage. It is literally just a ACL clean tear. And we have the man, the myth, the legend, Deepak Chona, Coming in hot on Twitter uh, a couple days ago, he said, Brees Hall, by camp, Hall will likely have no limitations in the non-contact setting. Expect ADP to rise as a result of explosive footage with youth, age 22, elite pre-injury athleticism, 95th percentile, and high draft stock, 36th pick. All working in his favor, our algorithm projects a rapid bounce back for Brees Hall with likely RB1 production by week six. And that's what it is with Brees Hall. I think we're going to see... I'm a Jets fan. I'll just be straight up. I'm a Jets fan. I'm not going to say, uh, I try not to be a homer with the Brees Hall stuff, but every 
every report coming out of like Jets media and every video I've seen of Brees Hall has all been wildly positive. They're saying that he's running like over 20 miles per hour in practice. He's trying to get on the field, but they're sort of shutting him down a little bit. He looks like he's going to be ready to go. I think he's going to play week one. Now, of course, he's probably going to start slow, right? They're not just going to give him the lion's share of touches right out the gate, 20 touches for Brees Hall fresh off an ACL. That's kind of the issue is that he probably plays sparingly, right? Right. This says until like week six. Now, not sparingly, but like a 55% snap share guy, right? Not like a true bell cow or anything, but we're playing for the final stretch anyways with Brees Hall, right? So if he can come in there and be from like week seven through week 17, the RB1 and overall fantasy, which I think is in his range of outcomes. I think RB1 overall in fantasy was in his range of outcomes last year as a guy who, you know, was the RB8 with 17 points per game through week seven, didn't even start a majority of those games, was like listed as the uh, 1B to Michael Carter in a lot of those games wasn't truly unleashed until right up until he tore his ACL. So you're getting that kind of upside at a discount in the third round right now. And I think that there's a little bit of closing line value opportunity where if videos come out and he's playing in preseason and he looks good and he looks explosive, these videos are going to come out and then he's going to rise up to like an early second and probably get into that, like, you know, uh, Derrick Henry type area, like that 2-3 turn, whereas right now you can get him late third, on underdog absolute steal he has it all where he's an explosive runner uh during those first six weeks he was behind just nick chubb with 14 10 plus yard runs the receiving upside is insane as well through six weeks he was fifth among all running backs and targets with 30 he was averaging five targets per game and they weren't just dump offs either he had a 5.3 yard eight out which was a full two yards higher than the next running back all of last year he's a legit pass catcher he can challenge for like 10 plus touchdowns 70 plus catches a thousand plus rushing yards just 22 years old Brees hall i i know that acl tears have been unkind to us recently right we had jamal charles adrian peterson did really really well and then since then it hasn't been as great but if there was one guy that could take that you know adrian peterson one year turnaround i really do think it is Brees hall now after that we have our final player here one of the most polarizing players on twitter Gabriel Davis. Now, everyone has an opinion on him. He was going last year in the fourth round, and there was a lot of debate between Gabe Davis and the like nerds of Twitter and the football guys of Twitter, and it came down to, well, Gabe Davis on a per-route basis could command volume. It just came down to how comfortable you were extrapolating it to a full diet of routes, whereas the nerds on one hand and I even took a step back and was like, I can't really agree with my fellow numbers brother and but they were coming out here and saying pretty much that, you know, he had like a 10% target share. How is he going to get enough volume? But they were overlooking the fact that on a per out basis, he was commanding volume at a fine rate. Then he comes out last year, route percentage goes up to like 95% plus. His target share goes up to like 18%, which will work on like a 15-yard dot he had. I think that was like top six in the NFL last year. So it all worked out. And still, people kind of feel like he busted at ADP, right? He finished wide receiver 36 in points per game, which isn't going to be good for where you got him. But I think people don't understand is that he really was fine if you had him. Uh, he had an 18.7% advance rate in uh, Bestlemania 3 last year, average of 16.7%, so he was just fine there. He was the wide receiver 25 in best ball points added, which just takes into account, you know, it, it kind of off offsets the negatives of not getting into your lineup, but it kind of calculates, like, how much of an impact this guy had. Gabe Davis was still a monster in best ball, despite not really having a great year and I think that's kind of what his price is centered around like these expectations of him taking that next step people are really wrapped up in the fact of like whether or not Gabe Davis is good or bad when that's not really the calculus here this is a tweet I had 
I said, just as a reminder, Gabe Davis is a limited wide receiver without the skill set to ever be a superstar from a real-life perspective. He can also be a league winner for fantasy football at his current ADP in 2023. These can both be true. This was a screenshot by Matt Harmon, who does great work. You guys know. I talk about Matt Harmon all the time. He does amazing, amazing, amazing work. But there were a lot of bros that were coming out here, like, quote-tweeting this and saying, like, oh, Gabe Davis is who we thought he was. And here's the issue. Like, the the bet with Gabe Davis was never that he was going to take this next step and be this, like, amazing wide receiver. It was just simply that he is the downfield big play wide receiver with multiple touchdown upside in a given week attached to Josh Allen. And that's kind of all you need, right? 18% target share, 15 plus yard a dot. You connect on a couple of those and you have this like largely impactful wide receiver, which again, you're drafting a wide receiver 41 these days in like the seventh round, which means you don't even have to start Gabe Davis in your flex week one. Like the way that I'm building teams, like Gabe Davis is probably like my first wide receiver off the bench that I'm kind of like filtering in. And if he's good this year and he's startable, he's going to give you some massive, massive spike weeks which is what we're looking for in these like kind of like wide receiver four types uh, in best ball, in fantasy football. So I'm a big fan of Gabe Davis. I think, again, when we just sort of boil it down, he was the wide receiver 36 in points per game as a fourth-round price tag last year, and he didn't hurt your team. You're now getting to buy him at a seventh-round price tag. It's the same bet. Like, assuming, of course, DeAndre Hopkins could sign there, and that throws a wrench into things. But if DeAndre Hopkins doesn't sign with the Bills, he's the exact same bet Maybe his price goes up, but I guess that's sort of reason to get on underdog now and sort of buy now before Hopkins signs elsewhere. Maybe his price, I don't know, even still, I think his price would just be like a six-round pick instead of a seventh. Uh, but yeah, Gabe Davis is someone I'm taking a lot of, even when I don't have Josh Allen. If I have, I'm trying to think, like if I have like a Patriot stack going on with like Ramondre Stevenson for that week 17 correlation on underdog, I could be, you know, getting Gabe Davis in there. But I think that he is just somebody at this new price. Uh, it's just really easy to click the button on Gabe Davis in pretty much any format. So with that being said, those are four players that I think you need some balls to draft in fantasy football, but they're all guys that I'm pushing the button on right now. I think right now is probably the best time to take risks because, you know, let's say I get up to like 20% Brees Hall exposure and then like Dalvin Cook signs with the Jets and he like doesn't look good in uh, preseason. He somehow becomes like a six round pick. Well, I can just enter a shit ton of drafts in August and not draft Brees Hall and I can get my exposure back down to like, you know, maybe 8%. So, you have a lot of flexibility this far out. I think those are four guys to really go ham on right now before things sort of spiral out of control. I think the only one that won't really rise up is Bijan, but I think the other three will. But again, you need some nuts to draft these players. I hope that I sort of uh, could be the calming voice because I think that some people are going to be scared to draft these four players. But I think those four players are good for fantasy football in 2023. I hope you guys enjoyed this video. As always, if you enjoyed, make sure down below, subscribe, leave a like. Use promo code Ron on use promo code Ron on underdog. And as always, I will see you guys in the next one.